good evening. If you want to get out your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2, that will be our passage today. It's Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 15. What is it that makes us children of God? Uh, that, that idea that uh, we have become or that we are children of God is a very comforting kind of a picture for us. Uh, but what, what is the thing that we do that makes us children of God? Um, is it because we go to church? Is it because we give money? Is it because we haven't killed anyone yet? or because we don't steal, or haven't been in prison, or something along those lines. I mean, is that, is that what God is most pleased with about us? Uh, if you were a Jew in the first century, uh, your picture of being a child of God was a picture of someone who um, was circumcised. Circumcision was very important to the Jewish people, uh, and they believed that uh, that was an, uh, an identifying mark that set them apart from the uncircumcised uh, and those around them who were Gentiles. You ate the right kinds of foods, uh, and you celebrated the right kinds of feasts and did the right things. And this made you, obviously, a child of God. That was, uh, if you were a Jew in the first century, that was the way that you viewed the world around you. Uh, that those who were circumcised and ate the right things and celebrated the right feasts in the right way and, and upheld the law of Moses as uh, the law that God has given us, that is what made you a child of God. But things have changed. Uh, and as we studied the book of Galatians, we're noticing uh, that the Jews are struggling with the change that's taken place. Uh, they have created a distorted form of the gospel. And they're now teaching and proclaiming that distorted gospel uh, in a way that is intended to draw everybody in so that everybody can be child of, children of God just like they are. Uh, and Paul says that is a distorted gospel. Uh, that is not the gospel of Jesus. That's not the gospel that he was given directly from Jesus. And these who have come in have taught lies and things that aren't true. And people have been swept away. He says even Peter was swept away. Even Barnabas was swept away by their false teachings and their hypocrisy. Last time we studied Galatians together, we noticed how uh, Peter had to be called out for it in front of everybody. Because he had, not been, he had been eating with Gentiles and then he decided once the Jewish brethren showed up, that he would more so associate with those Jewish brethren, leaving the Gentiles uh, to fend for themselves, as though they're a lesser class of citizen, as though they're not the true children of God. And that conversation is very much continuing as we study this next section. What, what has gone on with Peter and the Jews and the Gentiles is uh, in view throughout this whole section. That's what, that's what the basis of all this is. We start by reading in verse 15, and Paul says something very fascinating. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. 
We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That's, that's kind of an odd statement. It's almost insulting, isn't it, to say uh, we're not Gentile sinners, to call them sinners in that way. Seems kind of insulting, but Paul's really drawing his Jewish audience in. He's, he's writing this to the Galatian Christians, which are made up of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And those Jewish Christians, he's drawing them in, and he's giving them something that is, is true in their minds. It's, it's absolutely true. Gentiles did not keep the law of Moses, and they have entered into all kinds of abominous, uh, uh, abomin- abominable practices. But still, it kind of sounds condescending, doesn't it? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And notice the next verse. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Notice how he he continues. It doesn't just stop with this kind of insulting language. He says, yet we know that we are Jews, and we're not justified by our works. In other words, we know that Jews are not children of God because they do Jewish things. That the Jewish things that the Jewish Christians have been doing all their lives is not the thing that justifies. And justifies is this word that we think of a courtroom probably, right? I mean, if someone is justified, that is to say that they're cleared of guilt for the action that they've done. And so he says, we know that we're not justified, we're not cleared of guilt for our sins because we have done Jewish things, because we have uh, been circumcised and ate the right things and and upheld uh, certain traditions and certain laws. That, That did not clear us of our guilt. So, we're Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, but we're not justified by being Jews. Justification, he says, comes by faith. And what he says here is interesting. As you look at the ESV, it says, uh, we're not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we believe, we who have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ, do And not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you hear the repetition in that? We're justified through faith in Jesus Christ, so so we also have believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Jesus. We're justified by faith, we believe in Jesus, we're justified by faith. The net version says it slightly differently, and I like this translation. He says, uh, it says in this, in this case, it's also the King James Version, which is uh, interesting. It says, yet we know that one is justified, not ju- no one is justified by works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. In other words, you're made clear of your guilt because Jesus was faithful to the law. He obeyed God. And that is what brought about your justification, not by your works of the law, but by his works of the law. 
And then it says, uh, we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ. So instead of that repetition, it's a repetition of the faithfulness of Christ. An emphasis is being placed not on our ability to believe, but on Jesus' ability to be faithful to the law and do the things that are in the law. And then it does state, we are justified by having faith in Jesus and his faithfulness. In other words, all of the guilt that we have incurred because of our sin, we know we are not able to clear ourselves by being righteous, but Jesus has been righteous for us, and we are cleared of our guilt when we put our trust in him to clear us. Because he is able to do that. The next verse is probably the most confusing verse in the whole letter. It says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Okay. What is that about? What is he saying here? In our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. What is he talking about? What does this mean? We need to know. What does this mean? In our endeavor to be justified in Christ, is he talking about a sinner's desire to receive salvation? An endeavor to be justified, an endeavor to be cleared of guilt by pursuing Christ. And in that case, he's talking to the Jewish Christians and saying, you had an endeavor to be cleared of your guilt by pursuing Christ. And then he says, if, if while you're doing that, you're found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? He says, certainly not. What in the world is he talking about? Why is he bringing this up? Why is he saying all of this? Well, whenever we become Christians, essentially what that means is we endeavor to be justified in Christ. We endeavor to be cleared of guilt by entering into Jesus, by having him forgive us of our sins. And he says if, if we do that and then, and then we're found to be sinners, does that mean that Jesus is a, a servant of sin? Well, no. Put it this way. He could be saying, as he, as he says this, if we were Jews and we were guilty of sin and Jesus saved us, does that make him a servant of sin? Does that make him a servant of sin? He cleared us of guilt. He says, certainly not. And if, if that's what he means as he's saying this, that Jesus is not guilty of you know, clearing us of our, our sins and being a servant of sin. Jesus is not guilty of, of being a servant to sin because he cleared us, Jewish Christians, Jewish people who have failed. The implied message is, surely, he's not guilty for clearing the Gentiles who have done the exact same thing, who are guilty of sin. And so... There should be no, no issue with accepting the Gentile Christians who have sinned and Jesus has cleared them of their guilt. 
He is free to do that just as much as he's free to clear us of our guilt. And maybe that's what he's talking about as he says this. In our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we were found to be sinners. Is Christ a servant of sin? Well, no, he's not a servant of sin. He didn't save us so we could go on sinning that grace may abound, as Paul said in Romans 6. He saved us to to remove our sins so that we could pursue a true life of righteousness. And that's an absolute idea that is found in Scripture that Paul would gladly agree with. But could he also be talking about something else? Notice this idea. If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ could be referring to the idea that I am justified in Christ because I'm in Christ, but I'm pursuing to be cleared of the guilt that I've committed since I came into Christ. I'm endeavoring to be justified in Christ and I'm found to be a sinner, will Christ forgive me of my sin? Will he be a servant of one who is continuing in sin? And then the answer would be certainly not. And this is why I say, if you're completely lost, I totally understand, this is a confusing text. And there's different ways to take this that I think are totally okay to take this. In order to understand what I think is the the answer to this, is this just talking about how Jesus is forgiving, given the Jews, so of course he'll forgive the Gentiles, or is he talking about uh, that if you try to justify yourself and your own sinfulness by being a law keeper, Jesus won't forgive you, essentially. Jesus will condemn you. Which one is it? We need to read the verses that follow. And notice what's being said. After this, in verse 18, he says, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What does that mean? The Jews have tore down the law-keeping system, when they accepted Christ. I rebuild what I tore down. I rebuild this lifestyle that I once lived in order to serve God. He says, I prove myself to be a transgressor. I rebuild this system by which I prove myself to be justified. I'm just going to rebuild a life of sin because that's what that led to. The life of trying to serve God and please God through the law of Moses has resulted in a life of sin and rebellion. And if I rebuild that, what's going to happen? Well, the same thing that always happened. The law does not justify our sinful passions, in other words. I can't rebuild the law in order to overcome sin. That's not what God has given us to overcome sin. The law creates sin. It arouses sin. It doesn't justify our sinful passions. It arouses our sinful passions. And so he says, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Not a law keeper, but a transgressor. And if you don't believe me about this, Romans 7 makes this a lot more clear. He says in verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, 
to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You see now in Galatians what he's talking about. I'm not to rebuild what I tore down because that would make me a sinner again. That would arouse again the sinful passions within me. It's like a child who's told, don't eat that cookie. And they're just wanting to see what happens. If they eat that cookie, there's a desire that's created in the law being created. And he says, that's not the way that we're supposed to be serving anymore. You were released from that law. That law did not justify you. Jesus has justified you. You died to the law through the body of Christ. Paul is going to go on in Galatians to make this same kind of point. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God, so that I might bear fruit for God, as he said in Romans. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This text tells us that the Jews who have become Christians have missed a very important step. As they came to Christ and submitted to him, they forgot to do something. They forgot to uh, give up the law. Jesus came to give life apart from the law. They weren't told on the day of Pentecost, as as we read about this morning... When they asked, what shall we do, they weren't told, well, you must keep the law of Moses to be saved. They were told, repent and every one of you be baptized. And so Jesus came to give them life apart from the law. It's not about the law. And and he says, through the law, I died to the law. The law just brought about more death. The law just brought about more sin. It did not bring about the spiritual life that I was hoping it would. Instead, it showed me how sinful I am and prepared me as those Jews on the day of Pentecost were being prepared to say, what do I need to do? I am a sinner. I have made the mistake. I am guilty. Well, Paul says something very fascinating in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why does Paul say Christians crucify themselves? I have been crucified with Christ. In this context, what does that mean? Does it not mean, as he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me? Does it not mean 
that I have no ability to justify myself. I have no ability to accomplish righteousness through keeping the law. I have crucified myself and my ability to, to, con- to conquer sin. And I now recognize that I can't live apart from Christ. My life is tied up in Jesus. Jesus lives in me. And I live because he is in me, because he is with me, because he has provided his blood to forgive me. So now my life is not about keeping the law, but my life is about serving Christ. I do not rely on myself. Relying on myself was what I did before. That was the old way. Now I give up relying on myself and I choose instead to rely on Jesus. I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God. I don't live in the flesh by working to keep the law. I live in the flesh by having faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And verse 21 really hits this home. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I don't nullify the grace of God. What what are the Jews really doing when they focus in on the law? Paul says they're nullifying the grace of God. God has forgiven them of their sins, and then they've turned back to the law to try to seek forgiveness through keeping the law and being righteous enough. And he says, you're just nullifying the grace of God. You're making the grace of God of no effect. That's not the purpose that God had in giving his son to die for you. It's not for you to go back to serving the law and dying to your sins again. That's not what God had in mind as his ultimate plan to save you from your sins so that you could die again in your own unrighteousness. He says if you're seeking righteousness through the law, you're trying to remove your need for Christ. That doesn't sound very uh, like a very thankful attitude, does it? That doesn't sound very grateful to say, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me through Jesus, but I got it from here. I really could have done it myself, but there, you know that one guy, he messed me up, and then that's the reason why I fell. And, and now you got me back straight, so now I'm going to go do it myself. No. That is stubborn pride. That's what that is. That is stubborn pride. That willful defiance, that re- rebellion that says, no, I can do it. You ever had any kids... Uh, you ever, like, struggle? I did this, like, last week. I was struggling to do something, and then my kids said, just do this, just do this, just do this. I said, okay, here you go. And they, I was like, you, you got five minutes to do it, and then you're going to bed because, you know, you can't do it. And they're like, no, I don't want to go to bed. You do it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that same kind of pride that I can do it. No, you can't, you know. For some reason, the Jews think, that they have the ability to be righteous in themselves. And they don't see that they need the grace of God every hour of every day. Just like those Gentiles who are sinners. 
So what do we learn from this? Well, obviously, this makes it very clear that the Old Testament is obsolete. Our lives are not about keeping the Old Testament law. Okay? Uh, it brought us the knowledge of sin, not salvation. That's not what the Old Testament law brings us. Now, we study the Old Testament law. We learn a lot about Jesus. We learn a lot about God. We learn a lot about ourselves and our sin, and that's a good thing. But it is not the source of our salvation, and we do not go to it in order to find a list of rules that we must keep in order to be a child of God. That is not its purpose. Instead, the Jews and the Gentiles need Jesus to live, not a perfect track record with the law. They need Jesus to live. And so all of their things that they think are so important, circumcision, unclean meats, and, and Jewish traditions, they have no effect on making someone a child of God. And them focusing in on those things does not help anyone draw closer to God and be more righteous and be more forgiven. Well, we read that, and I've heard this multiple times in Bible studies, and we might be, be tempted to say this ourselves. Well, okay, so that's, that's what this text is about, and that's what this means, and so there you go. It doesn't really apply to us, though, because we don't really try to keep the Old Testament law, right? I mean, if we were trying to make people be circumcised or make people eat unclean foods, then, then obviously we would be applying it to us. But because it's all about the Old Testament law, it has no application to us whatsoever, are we sure about that? Do we proudly and stubbornly hold on to a law-keeping system? Or do we submit to grace? I'll tell you, whenever I came out of the waters of baptism, my mindset was this. I'm baptized... So now I have to do all the right things in order for God to keep loving me. That was my mentality. That was my thought. That was, that was my life. Man, that was miserable. Because you know what the law did? It does what the law does. Doesn't matter if it's the Old Testament law or if it's some new law that we create out of looking at all the commands throughout the New Testament. If our mindset is, we must do all the right things in order for God to love us, we're missing it. And the problem that really starts popping up whenever we have this attitude is, we start to think, I have to make you do those things too. Because I love you and I want you, I want you to be right with God, so I'm going to make you do all of these things as well. Submitting to Christ means that we die to the law. We die to the law. We die to the law-keeping system in order to be righteous. We do not nullify the grace of God. Because if we can be righteous by our own works, then Christ died for no purpose. Instead, we need to have this mentality that we are constantly trying to submit to God. And submit to Christ and rely on his forgiveness. And I think that as a congregation, we're doing a terrific job at that kind of focus. And I love being a part of what we're all about. But still it can be hard for us. 
It can be hard for us to let go of our own abilities and to trust Christ. It can be hard for us to give up control. Really, that's what it boils down to. (laughs) I like to think I have control over my own salvation, and I really want to have that control, so I really need all of these things that I'm doing to make sure that I'm saved. And it's not really about trusting Christ to be forgiving toward me as much as it's about me doing the right things to make sure I'm in a right condition. (laughs) I don't really want to rely on someone else. I want to just rely on myself can't imagine having to rely on Christ every single day. I just picture myself having this day that's coming when I stand on my own two feet. And it's not about Jesus providing a sacrifice for me anymore because I now have become who I've always intended to be. That's not living by faith. And that's what this text tells us that we're supposed to be doing. I live by faith in the Son of God. And I love this. I want you to write this down everywhere so you see it all the time. Because it's so, so important. When you start being honest with yourself about all your shortcomings and your failures and the fact that you can't be what God really wants you to be because you make mistakes all the time. Remember this phrase. Remember, he loved me and he gave himself for me. Every day, whatever it is that you're struggling with, remember, he loved me and he gave himself for me. That's what our faith has to be in, in order to endure all the trials, all the temptations in this life. The faith, the belief that he loved me and he gave himself for me means he'll forgive me, even though I'm not what I should be. And not only that, but... He'll count the things that I do that are good. He'll count them as fruit for me. (laughs) Not as making up for all of my sins and all of my failures because there's no way it would ever be able to do that. But he says, no, I'm, I'm clearing you of all your guilt and the things that you do for me and do for others and love for them, I'm gonna add that to you. I'm gonna count that as fruit. That's what Romans, the Romans passage was very clearly pointing out, now we have the ability to bear fruit for God. All because he loved me and he gave himself for me, provided that ultimate sacrifice that I needed in order to be able to be called a child of God. I'm not a child of God because I go to church every single time I can. I'm not a child of God because I give a certain amount of money into the church's treasury. I'm not a child of God because I haven't killed anybody yet or because I haven't cheated on my wife. I'm not a child of God because I do all of these right things. I'm considered a child of God because I put my faith and my trust in Jesus, that he loved me and that he gave himself for me, that he's coming back one day to take me with him to be in heaven for all eternity. And that belief motivates me not 
to keep the law, but to keep whatever Jesus has commanded me to do. Like, I submit to him. I want to do whatever he wants me to do, not because I have to and because I feel obligated to in order to be good enough, but because he loved me and he gave himself for me. And if you're here, I promise you, he loves you. And he gave himself for you also to be forgiven. Really need to focus in. Every time this slide pops up, his grace has been poured out for all of us to be forgiven of our sins, as unworthy as we are. And all of us have an opportunity to accept it and to be made children of God through the blood of Jesus. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God or you're struggling in any way and we can help you, will you please let us know what what you need so that we can help you in any way? Please come forward as we stand and as we sing.